Welcome to VB Engage, episode 15. My name is Stuart Rogers with VentureBeat, and I am accompanied by my awesome co-host, the incredible marketing technology genius slash god slash advocate that is Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing today? I think I should just be called Slash, I guess. Just pick up a guitar and a top hat, and we're ready to go. You don't have the hair for it, man. You really do not have the hair I for really it. I really don't. I don't. You're correct. I did see Guns N' Roses on their latest tour, and it was amazing. But that has nothing to do with this podcast. That's true. We can't start discussing you know, <laughs> rock music and you know, music in general on the uh, VB Engage podcast. Unless they have a mobile app. Well, then we could. And that's actually an interesting segue into something we're going to talk about in the news yes. today. But before we get into the interesting segues, I think we have Peter Daring on later today, do we not? We do. And this was really a fascinating interview. You guys are going to love this one. We talk about Peak Design and the five Kickstarters that they have done previously. When we interviewed Peter, uh, he had, was like three or four days away from launching their sixth Kickstarter, which also blew away all their records. And so what we talk about is crowdfunding, how to look at Kickstarter, how to look at how maybe managing a crowdfunding campaign, how they're engaging with their audience. Pretty fascinating stuff. Yeah, it absolutely is. I really enjoyed that one. And uh, we got him to uh, link it in with what's happening in the world of smartphones and how that affects the whole crowdfunding business. Because, of course, you know everyone's roaming around on their smartphones all the time. Is it a natural environment for crowdfunding? And so, you know, we get into that. That's really great. We want to talk about the news this week, though, do we not? Because I noticed something really interesting. Um, SeatGeek, the people that do uh, ticketing for events, um, they've launched this thing called SeatGeek Open. And this is something that really, really intrigues me. Let me give you a little bit of color to this, Travis, and then we'll dive into what makes SeatGeek Open really cool and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of weeks back, I was in Seattle speaking at an event called Postback, which was put together by a company called Tune. On the stage, I was interviewing a, a bunch of people, including uh, guys at M-Particle. And there was a company called Button there. Now, Button is really interesting to me. What Button does is it allows you to have your app within other people's apps. It's a, it's a connection between apps. It basically, you know, you know when you're looking at Google Maps... And it says, do you want to take an Uber to this place? Because there's that connection between Google Maps and Uber now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's providing that kind of um, solution, but like any app to any app. This is really interesting. I mean, what do you think that does in terms of opening up brand new market opportunities and brand new ways to engage with, with users when you can actually put your app inside somebody else's app? It creates a whole lot of really interesting partnerships. Uh, it would generate better user loyalty, help you earn more money. And yeah, so you're talking about usebutton.com. That's the website there with Button. They have some really interesting integrations and and, and giving people actions instead of ads and being able to make interesting connections really enhances the user experience, right? So that's really cool. So now SeatGeek is now doing that exact same thing while taking on original ticket sellers. Now, SeatGeek opened up and founded in 2009. And, you know, so they, they're sort of like a stub hub where they're able to resell your tickets on there. So if I have a couple of tickets to a game, I can sell them on SeatGeek. And this is a direct fire right at Ticketmaster, huh? This is huge. I mean, you know, rather than just simply allowing someone to sell tickets through your site, what this allows you to do is actually, uh, through an API, implement it anywhere. And that makes things really, really interesting. Um, Paul Sawyer's uh, VentureBeat actually wrote uh, wrote the article on this one. 
And the example he gave, now just to be clear, this is not actually happening. Uber is not on board for this, right? So we're not actually saying something that, that is real. It's just an example. But the example he gives is that a sports team might want to sell tickets through Uber. Uber could basically sell rides to the venue at the same time as selling the tickets because selling them through Uber, not through SeatGeek. And if that's an Uber pool rideshare, they could even have it in there so that all the people in the car are on the same sports team so that they're going to like each other and not, not punch each other in the face. Right. right. You don't want an opposing fan in there. They did that, <laughs> they did that in France. They're, whenever they had the big Euro Cup over there, I was in Paris, and it was interesting that they literally were segregating all of the fans throughout the city, and no sports bars were able to show the games because of all the hooligans. So you don't want a hooligan in your car when you're going to the game. You want to be with your homies. You know, this opens up SeatGeek for anything to integrate through it. It could be a part of a, a Facebook Messenger chatbot. You could build a Travbot, mm. and you could sell tickets to events through your Travbot via the SeatGeek API. You mean I just need to integrate SeatGeek into my Travbot because this is Travbot 2000 right here. This is the bigger picture. You've got the app economy, all these <laughs> billions of apps, thousands launched today. You've got the chatbots. And what's going on in the chatbot world, which we'll talk about a, a little bit more in a second. But now you've got this this sort of like this other world where you're creating this new sort of sharing economy where apps are being integrated within apps. You know, whether it be through uh, the likes of Button, whether it be through open APIs, we're now starting to connect these all together in a kind of app-focused sharing economy. And that's very, very interesting. From a mobile engagement perspective... That is taking a very advanced view of getting people into your app. You know, it kind of falls in line with what we've been talking about where, you know, the future might be, but we don't get adverts. We get basically something that looks like an assistant every time. It is an advert, but it doesn't look like an advert. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's assisting you. And in the same way here, apps will be assisting you by providing you other apps that you can use within the app. It's a combination of partnership, taking your customer data, pulling in these different partners, being able to market to them in unique ways, and they're, and they're doing rev share. They have a powerful set of, of SDKs that are going to help these developers really be able to create ticket experiences across multiple apps, multiple websites, traditional or emerging channels. And guess what? This is not going to be the first one of these to do this. There's going to be We're going to see, start seeing all kinds of these sort of various partnerships popping up here as the world is really embracing the mobile first experience. Exactly right. And, and with the, the verification technology they've got built into this, you could have it set up so that in Slack, co-workers could swap tickets with each other when they you know can't go to the game. I've been really against the sort of monopoly on tickets for such a long time. I was a big fan of Pearl Jam. They had that big federal case against Ticketmaster way back in the day, and they refused to do concerts at places that Ticketmaster was the, the ticket choice of venue, uh, for those venues. And that was amazing, and it ended up not really changing anything, but it really made awareness. You buy a ticket, and then, oh, you have a convenience fee, and then you have a download fee, and then a service fee, and then another random fee, and then any other fees they can sneak in on you. And it's just like, really? How about the ticket is $89, and that's the ticket? I think SeatGeek should be able to help disrupt that, especially for independent artists, right, who don't want to give up right. a vast percentage of their revenue and their ticket sales to some big monopoly. Share it out a little bit. That's going to be good. And it keeps the engagement with the audience in your native app or in your mobile web. You're not firing them off to someone else, right? So 
Yeah, I, I really like this move. Before we get into talking to Peter Deering, let's just put a little full stop on this because we, we've mentioned the word du jour, chatbots. I noticed that my compatriot John Sifuentes has put together the bots landscape. He's introduced that this week. It's 170 plus companies. It's 4 billion in funding. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of bots involved in this. Do you think it's fair to say that people are taking a big swing at this chatbot world? Yes. If you look at this bot landscape, it is fascinating. I mean, it resembles the, you know, Scott Brinker MarTech landscape, but Right now, it only has 170 companies instead of 4,000. But when we're looking at this, we got which bots that have some traction. Here are some connector bots. Here are some AI tools, bot discovery tools, bot analytics, bot developer framework tools, and other messaging tools. Really interesting to take a look at that. Nobody has put together this landscape yet, so it's very, very refreshing to take a look at that. Billions of funding, thousands of bots flying in your browsers and your messenger apps. Definitely worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Travis, but you know, I think there are kind of different levels of bot user at the moment. I mean, as a journalist and analyst, I've had to download a lot. I don't know if, you know, well, not download, but just like add them to my uh, yes. my messenger. Have you had to do a lot, or have you just done a couple? I've done a few. I did the NBA one. I've done other few publications that I've taken that, that I've taken interest in. The bot discovery apps are really interesting. Those sort of directories to figure out and see which bots you want to connect with. But you know, I, I've used a bunch of Slack bots. There's all kinds of those that that I've used. So the only problem problem is on those on my Facebook Messenger bot when I get that little notification I'm like yeah friend just message me who is it oh no it's just a bot I think we should probably <laughs> stop talking and go and have a chat with Peter Deering what do you think yes let's do a little crowdfunding magic all right ladies and gentlemen we have an exciting treat for us today we have the founder and CEO of Peak Design and Peak Design, if you don't know this, they have actually launched five super successful Kickstarters. So we are going to be chatting with the founder and CEO today of Peak Design, Mr. Peter Daring. Welcome to VB Engage, good sir. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate it, man. Really pumped to be here. Yeah, it's awesome to have you on, uh, Peter. I mean, tell us a little bit more about these Kickstarters for, for people that haven't been following your work and what you've been doing. Well, I mean, there's Kickstarters in general, obviously, the premier crowdfunding platform. We started using the platform really towards its infancy. About a year into Kickstarter's birth is when I launched my first Kickstarter campaign. And that one was for a mechanism called the Capture Camera Clip. That became the second most funded project at the time on Kickstarter. So that was kind of instant notoriety and relative fame on the platform. And we've basically been building on top of that audience each time. I, I feel like every time we've had a Kickstarter, we bring a significant chunk of the folks with us from the previous ones, and that's kind of been our formula for success. Kickstarter itself, I mean, it's I find it personally very interesting. I've backed lots of projects on Kickstarter. I'm, I'm currently rocking my uh, Pebble Time Watch, you know, which, of course, is a very famous uh, Kickstarter. In fact, they've, they've now done three. I stopped at backing the third one, I'll be honest, because um, I felt that by the time they got to the third Kickstarter... They should probably have a company that doesn't need the money up front anymore, and they should be able to, to, to you know, run with their own two feet. So I actually didn't back the third Kickstarter. I thought it was, a, it was an incremental change to the watch. That's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? You want to be able to launch something really interesting and fun and unique for people, and Kickstarter gives you a chance to do that in an interesting, you know, crowdfunded way. But you know, clearly for me personally and for a, for a number of other people who shared my view, you don't want to like abuse the platform too. How do you balance that out? What does that look like? 
we've always said that we got to keep growing with every Kickstarter and make sure that every product release is significant enough to where it's going to take the take the position of eclipsing our previous one to kind of to represent that growth. And I feel like their third one didn't not because of perceived abuse of the platform, but simply because the products, when stacked up against the other things that are in the marketplace right now and stacked up against their previous campaigns, just wasn't wowing enough. I think that it would probably have more to do with that. Because you mentioned the feeling that a company should be able to kind of stand on its own two feet and sort of, you know, they've gotten their kickstart, okay, go run with that and be a traditional business now. Well, to be a traditional business, though, and to maintain a growth curve that is really healthy, like Pebbles is and like Peak Designs is, we do need money up front. We simply cannot, from our own cash flow, the manufacturing is so expensive, and you have to put it, all that money in so far in advance that either we're going to investors or we can crowdfund. And specifically, the difference with crowdfunding is that it allows us to not utilize investors and the benefits of that, it's interesting. I've never had a company where I've had to find money, but every single person who I've spoken to who's been in the business of fundraising from VCs or angels at any point, you know, just describes what a soul-sucking venture that is. Our funding periods are like the most exciting, fun-filled, enthusiastic, community-building activities that we have in our company. And so, like I say, the money's got to come up front from somewhere. I'd rather have it be a purely positive thing rather than somewhere I'm trying to go sell my soul out there. Great point. There are a lot of different ways to do Kickstarters. And, and, and one of the things that, that I was curious about was like, whenever you're starting out and you have a small crowd, right? And this is a really great way to really engage, like you said, your community. And I, I think you've mentioned in other interviews that you actually use Kickstarter as just another one of your sales channels, right? It's like, all right, sure. it seems like you're launching one about every year. Whenever you were starting that and you didn't have a crowd, and it seems to me this is a great way to create raving fans, right? You said each time you're doing a new Kickstarter, these fans are coming along and they're growing. So how do you begin that? Like if somebody's saying, man, I want to, I got this great idea. I'm going to build the world's best shoe. It's going to be amazing. And I have no fans. Like what did you do in the beginning to start to get that rolling thunder? The product that you bring into the market has simply got to be something that has a high conversion rate more than anything else. And, and a high conversion rate is indicative of a lot of different things, right? Is it a product that solves a real problem, one that a lot of people can relate to for a price that is appropriate? That price has got to represent like a fair deal for the value of the problem that's being exchanged. And that's just the same as any other business. Okay. And so like when I launched the first capture camera clip, I had nothing, nobody. I had, you know, like 700 Gmail contacts from mm -hmm. my life as, as a 27 year old kid. It would just happen to be though that like, oh my gosh, cameras are a pain in the ass to carry. And yeah, I could see putting my camera on my backpack strap. That would be awesome. 50 bucks. I'm in. Kickstarter is just an amplification, I think, of what your business would be without Kickstarter, so to speak. I guess the direct answer to your question is try to have a great product that presents well for the right price and that a lot of people are going to want. I don't want to be the, the bad cop in all of this, right? So uh, this isn't uh, Travis good cop and me bad cop. And by the way, Travis, <laughs> I'm actually going to design the best pair of shoes ever, not you. Okay. I, I've, all right. I'm, I've got that one. I don't I've have any. I, those, you right? know, that's good. good to know. I actually wasn't designing shoes, but... Uh... 
That was a right, metaphor. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> Don't you take my shoe idea off <laughs> okay. me, right? I want to hear uh, this. I want to hear this. We have a friend EA in, in place here. I did a, a report about how people complain on social media. And one of the things that I found really interesting in that report was that by and large, like huge amounts more, Facebook was one of the most complained about platforms on earth. Way more than anything else. But it turns out the complaints weren't about Facebook. The complaints were about Zynga because Farmville wasn't working, right? And so Facebook were taking all the flack, right? Because they're the platform that had Zynga on it. Now, Kickstarter has a very similar issue in the respect that sometimes, not very often, but sometimes someone will take a few million dollars for their swarming drone camera that's going to follow you around and they'll disappear off. Clearly, they've gone to uh, an island like Cabo. It could be any island. They've thrown it all on red. Um, it didn't come up. And uh, they've had to disappear off. And, you know, the Kickstarter dies. And everyone's going, oh, it's a scam. It's a scam. And, you know, quite right. It probably was a scam. Uh, problem is Kickstarter gets tainted with that brush. Now, what do you do to increase engagement, get people to trust you quickly, to get them to care enough about your Kickstarter? It basically says, hey... We're going to do this. You know, how do you just keep them up to date on everything and make sure that they're enthusiastic about your project? They don't think that it's it's another Kickstarter scam. Sure. Well, I mean, for one thing, we have the benefit of having done five of these now. You know, and it would be odd if on the sixth one we're like, psych, <laughs> we're going to Cabo. Um, you know, people people believe in our ability to do that they've seen it it's tried and true and, and there's nothing as powerful as that right so we we obviously have that advantage but for those who don't have the the advantage of having five previous successful campaigns it's an overused term and it's kind of makes me want to puke but at the same time it's so awesome radical transparency show people who you are show people what you're doing when you run into problems explain what those problems are people are smart Especially like on the Kickstarter platform, frankly, they tend to be jumping in more quickly and they are going to get it. Do they always have, you know, are, are perfect exemplars of empathy? No, they're not. And like, you got to deal with that stuff. It's the internet for crying out loud. But just be honest in all that you're doing and you will build that trust up. I don't know how many real true scams there have been, or I don't know how many people have just been in over their heads. I, I, I would suppose that that is far more likely because at the end of the day, it's actually really hard to make shit, especially when you're doing things that have never been done before. And if you put it up here and say, we're going to make this and you don't know how to do it yet, you're in for a big surprise. Mm, absolutely. That's a great point. Now, what I noticed about your Kickstarters, and you said you've had five successful ones, is that you have been very communicative to your audience. You have been radically transparent. I mean, you've done your um, messenger bag. You had like 35 updates to your audience, right? Now, that's post. That's after they've purchased, right? What I'm curious about is leading up to that, when you're in the launch, what are some of the things that you need to be able to succeed on this platform? Because, all right, we have an audience or we're growing an audience. You know, what are some of the key things that you've learned during those five Kickstarters that you said, wow, you know, I mean, there's some interesting things. Like I've heard that once you start a Kickstarter, well, then there's other, these third party people that come at you and say, Hey, but well, we can help give you extra funds and we can do this to help you go. I mean, could you help maybe, you know, somebody who's thinking about doing some Kickstarters, help them navigate some of the landmines that they might be, what, what to do and what definitely not to do? And just to add to that point, I think it's a fantastic question. What is different about 
that now that basically everybody has a smartphone in their hands, right? Because surely as we've gone towards this um, you know, permanently mobile world, uh, engaging with people and you know, answer that question with maybe the lens of what has had to change in order to make sure that we get to people wherever they are regardless, right? Because you know, hardly anyone's in front of their desktop anymore. A lot of interesting topics there. One, Kickstarter has gotten a lot more advanced through the years with their platforms, especially on mobile. Like, it's a great mobile experience right now. They've done a lot more things with respect to... Now I notice when I just scope out campaigns, I end up getting an email about that campaign, you know, with 10 days left or something like that, saying like, hey, you sure you don't want to back? I think the world of digital marketing has seen great advancements since 2011. All of those things are somehow contributing towards the two factors that you get, right? Like the amount of dollars that gets brought into our Kickstarter campaigns are a function of two things. How many people were driven to the site and what percentage of them converted? And the one thing that we found, which is incredible, is that the percentage of converting people is almost perfectly established after about one day of the campaign, probably just within a few hours, actually. If you come to the site, the odds that you're going to jump on board for one of our products is the same all throughout the campaign. And that is a function of what is your product, what problem does it solve, how is it priced, and how is it presented. You can't really tweak those things. I guess you can tweak the presentation throughout. You can get better, and we always do. We hone our page and tweak it so that people are more engaged or for some reason more converting on the on the micro percentage level. But then it's all about driving eyes to the campaign. And it's a multi-pronged approach. There's influence out there, there's bloggers out there. Probably the best way you can do it, if you don't have previous influence, have samples of your product, like real finished samples that you can send around to the press and media. And the fact of the matter is, if they get it and they like it, they'll write about it. If they are just looking at a campaign the same as everybody else, they're not going to write about it. You couldn't expect a, a journalist to stake their reputation on something like that, that they don't trust him. And then with respect to the third-party campaigners out there, I have been asked this question more frequently than anyone because it's this whole like cottage industry, right, that has developed sort of in the wake of Kickstarter, which is cool. They're interesting, though. We started using them last campaign, and... The only reason we do is because we're able to very accurately tell how many people are coming to the campaign from those efforts, what percentage are converting, and then we're able to say, here is a fair payment from that. Okay? The problem that I see is that it seems to me like a lot of these companies, I'm not going to name names, tend to say, we're going to need 35% of your total funds. Uh, in exchange for our services, but we'll blow you up, you know. I don't know how many people are signing up for that, but caution, okay. Your ability to succeed as a company, you need to guard your margin with extraordinary defenses. And when you're giving away 35 points to marketing, there are very few products that are out there that can live on and be profitable. If they are, then you're getting too much margin probably for your products. It works for us because we can negotiate, because we have the power to negotiate. I could see mm -hmm. a lot of people getting trapped by it, though. Yeah. Yep. This is the calm before the storm here. Actually, when, when our audience hears this, you will have another rocking and rolling Kickstarter. You're getting ready to launch one here in a few days. You want to share with our audience what that is all about? Yeah. We're five days away right now, 
And uh, when this airs, it'll be on the other side of it. So it's kind of interesting to try and anticipate. I can tell you this. There is so much excitement going around with myself and my employees right now and like my family and friends. Everybody knows it's coming. It's this kind of well of emotion and excitement. And I think it's extraordinarily well-founded because the products that we're releasing or the products that will have been released when you see this is a line of bags. The DNA of these bags are rooted in last year's successful messenger campaign. Now we've got backpacks of two different sizes at two slightly different price points, a beautiful tote bag and a sling bag. So we've got a wide variety of prices and needs. And each one of these bags is probably even more dialed in than the messenger is simply because it's our second go at making bags. And we got to take all that learning from messenger bags and put them into a year's worth of research and development on this next line of bags. So it's this full fleshing out of these really, really sensible products that are beautiful and the, the video is coming together so well and I guess I'll look like a real fool if and when this airs, uh, you know, there's only a few hundred bucks pledged to that campaign. But I'm very, very optimistic about the ability for this campaign to be big enough to eclipse last year's incredible $5 million campaign. Good deal, yeah. man. Good luck on that. That's great. Hey, listen, Peter, we could, uh, we could talk to you all day about this stuff. But unfortunately, uh, we have to bring this to an end. Uh, hopefully, uh, once you open that bag, uh, a bunch of cats won't fly out of it. But uh, we wish you luck with your Kickstarter, your next Kickstarter. Congratulations on uh, the other five successful Kickstarters. And thanks for sharing your thoughts on, uh, on engagement and conversion and, and trust. It's been fantastic having you. Uh, thanks for joining us on VB Engage today. My pleasure, guys. Anytime, okay? Appreciate it, brother. Good luck. All righty. See you guys. Excellent. Thank you so much, Peter Daring, for joining us today on VB Engage. That was a very, very insightful interview around crowdfunding and Kickstarter. And congratulations on all the success they're having over there. I love it. Their bag is great. Good stuff. We have Jonathan Abrams with us next week, and he is the CEO of Nuzzle. And he was also the CEO of Friendster. So you're going to want to tune into that one. And also, if you missed us last week, we had Shira Abel with us. That was a great conversation around mobile and engagement. So make sure to tune into that. Again, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to tune into your podcast app and give us a little review or give us a little subscribe, a little love. That would be great. Again, if you hate it, make sure to email Stuart. He loves hate mail. (laughs) <laughs> and with that, I will say ta-ta for now and hand it over to Mr. Stewart. I'll say uh, anyao from Stuart Rogers. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.